Good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here today. We're going to wrap up this series on uh, doubts that we have. And so as we, as we finish this out, I just want to throw this out there. We, we've covered in this series, we've covered the resurrection of Jesus. <clears throat> we've covered um, the reliability of the Bible. Last week, we talked about the problem of evil and suffering in the world and how that reconciles with our teaching that God is good and powerful. And today we're going to talk about uh, the consequences of those who are, for those who are not in Christ. We're going to talk about hell and eternal punishment. So for, for those of you that have doubts uh, or you've had some things come up that you've questioned about your faith and you've questioned about God and uh, Christianity that we didn't cover, let me remind you why we're doing this. We're, we're going through this series because I'm convinced that that everyone has questions about their faith at some point in time. Everyone comes across a doubt of some kind at some point. And what we tend to do, our, our default reaction is to keep that to ourselves, to bury it down deep inside somewhere, uh, mostly because it doesn't feel socially acceptable to talk about these things. It seems to us that no one else is sharing our doubts. Everyone else seems to be doing just fine. Everyone else seems to have no problem believing everything that, that's taught them about their faith. And so we think we're the only one, so we, we bury it down deep. Or we just feel guilty. We feel like having doubt about God or having questions for God that we haven't had answered, that we shouldn't do that. that there's something wrong with us that we don't have a strong faith if that's what we're doing. And so we, we, because of our guilt, we, we bury that down in the darkness. So the whole goal of this series is to give you some confidence that the, the best way to really deal with our doubts is to bring them out into the light. When we bury them down deep, there's, there's no chance for that to grow into faith. And in fact, often what it does is it, it redraws the lines of our faith. And so our faith gets smaller and smaller because we haven't dealt with our doubts. But if we'll bring these out into the light and examine them, if, if we'll discuss these with people in our lives, uh, microchurch is a great place to do that. If you're not in a microchurch, I would encourage you to check that out today because it's a great environment for wrestling with through some of these issues. But if you bring them out into the light, now there's a chance that that doubt can grow into some kind of faith. Uh, otherwise, as long as we keep it to ourselves and we never say anything, and um, w there's no chance for that to grow into something bigger. So if we didn't cover your doubt or your question in this series, uh, please reach out to somebody. You can email me. You can talk to your microchurch um, and bring these things out into the light so that we can examine them and, and see if we can grow some faith out of them, okay? So today we are going to talk about hell. Uh, is, is it a real place? Believe it or not, um, about 40, 42% of people in the United States do not believe that hell is a real place, that People are going to go there eventually if they're outside of Jesus. And maybe that's a question that you've had too, because if we're honest, we don't want this to be true. If we're honest, this is something that I wish would just go away. I, I wish it wasn't true that hell is a real place. And if you're, if you're like me, there, there's a lot of things about your life that you wish weren't true. You're, there's a lot of things about the way the world works. How, how many of you wish cancer wasn't a thing? It would just go away. How many of you wish that um, child abuse wasn't a thing in our world? It would just go away completely. Human trafficking and people starving to death. There's a lot of things about the way our world works that we wish weren't true, but 
<clears throat> we don't actually get to decide. We don't get to make those decisions. But sometimes when it comes to faith, we kind of look at things that we wish weren't true and we go ahead and decide. We say, because I don't like this idea, because it, it doesn't make me feel good, it actually makes me feel really bad for myself or for people that I love, because of that, I'm just going to decide to set this belief on the shelf. I'm not going to buy into that. And a lot of people have done that with the concept of hell. We've just decided nobody likes this. We don't want to talk about it. So we're just going to pretend like it doesn't exist. Does it matter if it exists or not? I, th I think it does. And so that's why we're talking about it. If I didn't think it mattered <laughs> and I'm standing up here wasting your time, then uh, we've got a problem, right? So I, I think it matters. And, and so what I want to do first is go through some of the objections that people have that, that cause them to, to question or doubt or wonder if this is really true. And... Um, and look through those, and then we're going to see what Scripture has to say and what that means for us, okay? You with me? Great. Just me then. All right. Cool. <clears throat> I, some of you, if, you're, if you are a first service only person, here's something I just want you to know. Second service is more responsive. When I ask a question like that, people actually, they, they give me some feedback. So it's okay. Like, it's okay to like re respond and feedback and yell things at me and throw tomatoes. I, I don't mind. Second service does that all the time, so... Here's one of the first objections that people have. Uh, some, somewhere along the way, maybe someone told you or you heard it or you think you read it somewhere that God is actually going to save everyone. That God's, God's going to save everyone. Isn't that what we would expect of a loving God? Is that he's actually going to make a way for everyone to go to heaven. This idea is called universalism. And it just says because God is good and loving... That, that everyone is going to eventually go to heaven. Here, here's the thing. I kind of like the sound of that. Don't you? I mean, there are a lot of people that we, we know in our world that are, are, are good people. They're, they're kind. They're, they're generous. They're compassionate. But they don't know Jesus. And we think, surely God will have mercy on people who are outside of Christ. And everyone will go to heaven. The problem is we're inconsistent with our own beliefs on this. We, we look at this the same way we often look at at animals. Um, there are animals that it's, it's popular to get excited about protecting and loving certain animals. And so we think that we're animal lovers when in fact we're just cute animal lovers, right? I mean, look, look at this. If you have got a choice between these two animals, you see one of them is they're on your doorstep. They're both on your doorstep and, and, and you've you got to take one home with you to protect it and make sure it doesn't starve to death in the wild. Which one are you taking? The other one is called a naked mole rat, and it is one of the ugliest creatures on the planet. You don't hear anybody getting up in arms because naked mole rats are out dying in the wild, and no one is caring for them, and why don't you bring these animals into your home? Why? Because they're, they're hideous, right? Same thing uh, with the next picture, pup puppies and spiders. If you, you got a choice, wh which one are you taking home? Which one are you going to care for? We're, we're so inconsistent. Even for people who are animal lovers, you may think of yourself as an animal. You're not an animal lover. You're a cute animal lover. I'm a tasty animal lover. That's, I'm, that's, that's how I function. So <clears throat> we do the same thing when we think of this idea of universalism and, and is God going to save everyone? Because we know people that are good and kind, but we also know people or we know of people who are evil, who have perpetrated great suffering on the world. And we think there's no way that God should let those people into heaven. Even though we may like the idea that God is going to save everyone, 
There are some people that we're pretty sure don't deserve heaven no matter what because they've hurt so many people. They've caused so much pain and suffering in the world. So even, even uh, people who are, are, would consider themselves universalists are probably inconsistent with their own beliefs when it comes to that. The reality is the New Testament gives no indication that everyone will be saved. It just, it just doesn't say that. And in Scripture, Jesus doesn't talk about it, and the disciples don't, don't talk that way. In fact, the evidence is overwhelming that God's justice allows for those uh, who are redeemed by Jesus to enter heaven and requires that those who have rejected Jesus do not. A- another question that people raise is, doesn't the Bible say that uh, people are going to get a second chance? That after you die, there, there's going to be an opportunity for you to reconsider, for you to hear the gospel again. And now that you know, now that you actually know what's at stake and you know that you're mortal and you know that you need to make a choice, that after you die, you're going to get another chance. Uh, once again, uh, it sounds like a great idea. It seems gracious, doesn't it? A God of second chances. Wouldn't he extend that even to eternity and, and life after death? The problem is there's just no evidence that Jesus believed this or that the disciples taught this that we're going to get a second chance. Our opportunity is in the time that we have here on earth, and when we die, uh, it, it seems that our choice has been made. Another uh, objection that people raise to the, to the idea of this eternal punishment, and it's, it's just going to be this place of torment, and it is, you, you've probably heard this, or maybe you've thought this at some time, or you, you heard a, a song that had this kind of philosophy in it, is that hell's just not really going to be that bad. I mean, if that's, where, if, if, if that's where you go, this is what you're taught when you're, when you're a kid. You know, don't, don't, you don't, don't be a partier. Don't go out and have a good time because, because that's the kind of thing that sends people to hell. And you think when you're 18, you're like, if, if, if it's all the partiers that are going to hell, that sounds like a good time, doesn't it? This sounds like a good Friday night. ACDC wrote a song that a lot of people resonated with. Ain't, ain't nothing I would rather do. Going down, party time. My friends are going to be there too. I'm on the highway to hell. It just sounds like a good time for some people. This is a complete misunderstanding. And just being ignorant and ignoring the things that Scripture actually says. When Jesus talks about hell, he uses words like darkness and, and fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not even sure what gnashing of teeth means, but I don't, I don't think I would enjoy that. It doesn't sound like fun. And in a passage we're going to read here in a moment, Paul just talks about it as separation from God. If you think about separation from God, if, if God is the source of all that is good in our world, if God is the source of true love and truth, what would the world be like without God in it, without the goodness that he brings, without the love and generosity that his people spread? What would the world be like? That sounds a lot like hell, doesn't it? So the reality is, if we, if we actually read Scripture and we understand and trust what Jesus says, is that hell is real and it's not fun. It's, it's real and it's not fun. And I think that's the reality that we have to deal with. Again, like I said, I don't, I don't like this. This has been a sermon that I just didn't want to preach. Most of, most of the time, I'm really excited. You guys hear me say that all the time. You know, I always say, I'm so excited to talk to you about this today. You notice I didn't start that way today. <laughs> I'm not excited to talk about this. This is not fun. I don't, I I wish that we didn't have to talk about this. But the fact that it's in the teachings of Jesus means I can't ignore it. And so you get to enjoy the benefit of that. I wish it wasn't real, but it is. And it's not going to be a fun place. 
So why is it necessary? Why must there be this place? I just want to look at one passage of Scripture, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. This is a letter that Paul wrote uh, to church in Thessalonica. It's his second letter to them, that's 2 Thessalonians. And uh, in both of Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, there's a lot of uh, conversation about you know, death and dying and what happens when you die in the second coming of Jesus and all of these things. It seems like this church had a particular need for teaching on this subject. Maybe they had people in their area that, that were spreading false teaching about uh, Jesus and the second coming. So when Paul writes uh, to these people, he, he's, he's addressing some specific things going on for them. Here's what he says in chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. First, first clue we get is the people in Thessalonica are suffering. They're being persecuted for their faith. The persecution hasn't reached the point yet that we, we often think about where, where Christians are being dragged into the Colosseum and, and to face lions and burned at the stake. We're not quite there yet, but they're being shunned by their, their community. The, the Roman and Greek officials can make it harder for you to earn a living and uh, to have the resources that you need. They can make it harder for you to own property. And uh, the synagogues have already kicked the people out that were Jewish and decided to follow Jesus. And so life is really hard for a Christian at this time. And, and Paul acknowledges that you are suffering for your faith. Verse 6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. The justice of God, the result of that is that God is going to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well. God's justice does both. It, it repays with affliction those who afflict you and it grants relief to you who are afflicted. Those are both results of God's justice. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. I don't like the sound of, of eternal punishment and away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. But, but Paul is writing specifically to comfort people who are facing suffering at the hands of those who have rejected God and the gospel of Jesus. And he's saying, here's, here's what you need to recognize. The timeline of your life is different than the way you often think of it. We think of it as this, this finite line segment that goes from our birth to our death and, and, and we hope to get, you know, 80 or 90 or 100 years and, and, and then that's it. And so Paul says, if, you, if you're experiencing suffering during this, this portion of your timeline, you feel like you're being cheated. You feel like you're being ripped off and, and, and you're not getting justice because there's suffering happening in this portion of your timeline. But Paul's saying, your timeline doesn't have this end point that you think it has. It, it actually keeps going forever. And so your time here on earth is just this tiny little piece of your actual eternal life. And so the, the suffering that you're dealing with now is going to be short in comparison to eternity, right? I mean, we kind of, we don't really understand this, but we kind of get the concept, right? And he's saying you actually need to start seeing your life as, as a, uh, a line that doesn't have an end. 
And you need to see the same for the people that you think are getting away with stuff here and now. You think that why are all these evil people just prospering from evil? Why are they getting away with this? The reality is they're, they're only getting away with it for a, a short period of time and God's justice requires that those who are outside of Christ be punished. And so that, that was his way of comforting these, these Thessalonian Christians. So if, if, if hell is real and it's, and it's a place that, that must exist because of God's justice, then who, who goes there? Who, who goes there? Well, I, I found some help from our, our, the wisdom of television to dis- explain to us who goes there. If you've ever seen, uh, there's a show called The Good Place, and uh, they explain really clearly for you who, who goes to hell. So you can just learn from them for a minute. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to your first day in the afterlife. You are all, simply put, good people. But how do we know that you are good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth, Every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value, depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares, no one's watching. We were watching. Surprise! (laughs) Anyway, when your time on Earth is ending, we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. The point is, you are here because you lived one of the very best lives that could be lived. That, that makes sense, right? Isn't that how you think most, most people think about who, who, who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? It's, it's a point system, isn't it? If you have enough good deeds, then you get to go to heaven. And if you do a lot of bad things, then, then too bad for you, but you made your choices. So who goes to hell? Bad, bad people, right? Um, maybe not. Maybe not. Let's, let's look at some of the things, and there's some unsurprising things that, that Scripture indicates will, will send people to hell. Revelation 21.8 has an interesting list. It says, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Like, oh, that makes sense. Murderers, adulterers, idolaters, yes, they... That's the kind of people. But then Jesus kind of throws our philosophy off a little bit. And the book of Matthew alone, I just will read, uh, point some of these out. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says that anyone who calls his brother a fool is in danger of the fire of hell. Just a few verses later, he says that any man who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart and adulterers. We know what happens to them. In Matthew uh, chapter 8, Jesus warns the Pharisees that they are in danger of the fires of hell because they have shown preference to a race. Racism can land you there. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable about 
the talents and the servant who took his one talent and buried it in the ground, where did, where, where did he end up? In the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because he didn't invest what God had given him into the kingdom of God. This doesn't sound like bad people, does it? In Matthew 25, Jesus is separating the sheep and the goats and he says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me water. I was sick and in prison and you didn't come and visit me. So just neglecting the poor, the destiny for those people in that section is the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that doesn't sound like bad people. It just sounds like people who may have missed some opportunities. James, in James chapter 3, is, is, is talking about the power of the tongue. And he says, be careful, those of you who teach, those of you who ever stand up in front of a group of people to explain God's word to them. Be careful, because the tongue is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison and is set on fire by hell. So just incorrectly teaching the word of God. So is it, is it just bad people, or is our definition of bad people seem to be a little different than Jesus' definition? Paul, in the book of Romans, makes it very clear that all have sinned. No one is righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if this is all true, then who has a chance? If bad people go to hell and we're all bad, who has a chance? Well, the good place, again, is going to teach us some valuable lessons. Just one more short clip. <laughs> Your Honor, I once stood in front of you and said I thought there was something wrong with the point system. I finally know what it is. Life now is so complicated. It's impossible for anyone to be good enough for the good place. I know you don't like to learn too much about life on Earth to remain impartial, but these days just buying a tomato at a grocery store means that you are unwittingly supporting toxic pesticides, exploiting labor, contributing to global warming. Humans think that they're making one choice, but they're actually making dozens of choices they don't even know they're making. Your big revelation is life is complicated? That's not a revelation. That's a divorced woman's throw pillow. Life is complicated. It's, it's impossible. I'm glad the show finally got to this point because I, I, didn't, I wasn't sure they were going to get there, but no one can be good enough to get into the good place. Scripture is very clear on that. So who has a chance? Everyone has a chance, but not because of your behavior not because your good deeds are bad deeds, but because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came because God's justice demands that we pay the price for our sin. So Jesus paid it for you and for me. The truth is hell is real and it's not fun. But life with Jesus is for everyone. I know, it rhymes, so that maybe you'll remember it. Hell is real and it's not fun, but life with Jesus is for everyone. God has made a way to satisfy both his justice and his grace. Jesus. The biggest issue, the only thing keeping us out of heaven is our sin. That's the only thing that's keeping us out. And the only person who can deal with our sin is Jesus. 
that's why I think we, we have to really wrestle and struggle with, with, with people who say there, there are a lot of ways to God and there, there are a lot of ways to heaven. And Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's, that's what we know. I, I, we're always going to bump up against this question when we get to this point. What about the people that never get a chance to hear about the gospel? What about the people who never get a chance to meet Jesus? Here's, here's what we know. Jesus himself said he is the only way. The only thing keeping us out of heaven is our sin, and the only one who can deal with our sin is Jesus. That's what we know. But here's what else we know. It's not up to us. No, no one ever asked you to decide who's going where. And aren't you glad? It's not up to us. We're going to have faith and trust that God knows what he's doing, that he is good, that he is kind, and that he is just. And we'll let him sort it out. In the parable of the sheep and goats, who's separating the sheep from the goats? Peter? John? Me? You? No. Jesus. We'll let him sort it out. Our job is to carry the message of Jesus to every person on the planet because we're convinced not only is Jesus their only hope of dealing with their sin problem, which dealing with that allows them to cross over, as Scripture says, from death to life, to go from hell to heaven, essentially. But also, Jesus is our best chance at good life now. It's not just to avoid hell that we follow Jesus. It's, it's to experience the life that we were created to live now as well. We believe that people are better with Jesus, both here and in the hereafter. Your family is going to be better with Jesus at the center. Your workplace is going to be better with Jesus at the center. Your school is going to be better with Jesus at the center. Your neighborhood will be better with Jesus at the center. Your community is going to be better with Jesus at the center. This is why we pray for one. If hell is real and it's not fun, what does that mean for us? It means that we need to start accepting this unpleasant reality and acknowledging that it changes how we interact with people. Do you love anyone that doesn't know Jesus? What are you doing for them? There was a, a, a famous um, performer, magician, recorded videos many years ago, and he's, he's not a Christian, but he said, his comment was, if you really believe that I'm, I'm destined for hell because I don't know your Jesus, how much do you have to hate me to not tell me? It's a pretty sobering statement, isn't it? When we, when we hold back the gospel from those who need it, it's not, it's not only missing an opportunity to love, it's, it's almost an act of hatred. I don't care enough about you to warn you about what's coming and to show you that there's a better way. If hell is real, we better be praying for one. We better be praying, God, would you put one person in my life tomorrow, one person in my path that, that needs to know Jesus so, so they can avoid heaven and go to 
avoid hell and go to heaven and so that they can live the life they're created for today. Would you put one person in my path? And God, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't know how to preach the gospel, but I know Jesus. I can at least show love and kindness. Would you put one person in my path today? Because hell is real and it's not fun. But life with Jesus is for everyone. You, you know an everyone. You know a somebody who is included in John 3.16. The whosoever believes. You know a whosoever you bump into them, and maybe you don't know their whole story, and maybe you're not exactly sure, and maybe you've invited them to church before, but maybe, maybe it's time to find a new motive. Maybe it's time to find a new method. Maybe it's time to invite the Holy Spirit to lead you in this process. If, if this is true, it matters because it affects the eternal destiny of every person that you know. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we close in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for one. We've done this before, and I, I, I understand that for, for many, it's still a difficult habit to build into your life. And maybe today is the day you set an alarm on your phone for 7.30 or whatever that's going to go off and remind you. I don't know. But if this is real, we have to ask ourselves what we're doing about it. What are we doing about it? So I'm just going to ask you to join me in praying for one. So I'm going to ask you just to repeat this prayer after me. And if you, if you don't want to say it, just don't say it. It's fine. No, no one else is. This is between you and God. No one's recording this to uh, report on you later or anything like that. So between you and God, would you bow your heads? And, and if you want to be a part of what God is doing in the world to redeem people, to deal with our sin problem, say this prayer with me. God, would you put one person in my path today that I can point to Jesus with my words and actions? Give me one. Amen. You can be seated. Hell sounds like really bad news. That's why the gospel is such good news. Because yes, there's bad news, but the good news is so much better. The good news is there's, there's a way. God has made a way, and he did it through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for your sins and for mine. Scripture makes it really clear that the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9.11 says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And you can't die for your own sins and you can't die for the sins of someone else. But Jesus can because he was the perfect sacrifice, the lamb without spot or blemish. And he went to that cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed for you and for me so that we can stand here today and say our sins are forgiven. We can enjoy the peace and joy and purpose of a life in Jesus and we have no fear about the future because Jesus died to set us free. Today, we're going to celebrate that through communion. So as the bread and the juice come your way, I encourage you to take, take the bread, take the juice, and take a moment just to say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for sacrificing your own son to remove my sin problem so I don't have to fear the future. Take a moment and honor God with this time. Father, thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus. We pray that in this moment, as we acknowledge the broken body and shed blood of our Lord and Savior, 
God, that you would, you would remind us, Father, that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that because you did, we are free. And we have nothing to fear. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.